You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, Chiefs Kingdom? This is Matt Stagner. Prior to the start of this episode, I wanted to give you a quick update just to make sure we're current. As we recorded this episode, Ron and I were talking about the defensive end depth and whether or not the Chiefs would make an addition, a veteran addition, prior to training camp. And of course, what did the Chiefs do right as the recording ended? They re-signed Alex Okafor to a one-year deal. The timing on this move was interesting. The fact that they signed him right after Melvin Ingram went to the Pittsburgh Steelers and right before training camp started. I don't think it's necessarily an indication that they missed out on Ingram and took their backup option or that there's some issue with Frank Clark's availability at this time. It's probably just a returning veteran player that they know can step right in, that knows the playbook, that wanted to return and would be a good rotational piece or depth piece. It gives them some more flexibility and some more options going into camp. We'll see what that means for results on the field. But with that, let's go ahead and get to the rest of the show. Welcome, Chiefs team, into this edition of the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Matt Stagner joined, as always, by RKJ. Ron, how you doing today? I'm good. A week away from training camp now, the quarterbacks and I think special teamers or something, or maybe rookies, quarterbacks and rookies report on Friday, but a week from today, when you're listening to this, there will be actual practice for people to watch. So we're there guys. We, we, I think we made it. Well, not yet, I guess, but we're almost there. It's been a long slog, but we're finally going to see some football soon and some actual news on how some of these players are coming together. Who's made improvements in their in the offseason, who's ready to have a breakout year, who's struggling to pick up the playbook and camp. All of those stories that will be more meaningful than what we've talked about for the last month, but will pretty quickly be not meaningful when this actual season starts. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're almost there. It's, 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 it's time to overreact to training camp stories. It's time to for national reporters to hear that Mahomes threw a pick and to start talking about whether he's at his downfall or for some random undrafted free agent to make one play in camp and for everyone to think, Oh, he needs us to play over this veteran. So yeah, I, I love it. I can't wait. It's, it's my favorite time of the year. Definitely Jody Fortson season and, and Marcus <laughs> Kemp and Garrett Dieter and, and, and all of it, those guys. It is Jody Fortson season. I'm glad you said that. Cause he is the main candidate for that. What I just said, he, people love to, to think that he's that next, uh, that next X receiver. Well, speaking of things that the media and fans are overreacting on, we should get to the news of the week. Melvin Ingram, the defensive end that has been a free agent, has visited Kansas City, signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers for a pretty meager contract, a $4 million deal. What, Ron, what do you think that says about the Chiefs' actual interest in Ingram? So $4 million. I think that's something they could have definitely done, especially I know they don't have necessarily that much cap space uh, on the surface right now, but once... And, and I kind of tweeted this actually today or yesterday on Monday. Tyron Matthew contract extension news needs to happen soon. When that happens, there will be plenty of cap space for more things to happen. So 
uh, all that to say, four million was definitely doable, especially for a position that the Chiefs really need more players at, just more bodies. It doesn't even matter if it's if you're getting a guy that can play all three downs at this point. You kind of really just need another body that can that can give you good snaps, and I think Ingram definitely fits that. Although he did only play seven games last year, no sacks, as Jared Sapp, our, our new Arrowhead Pride contributor, our new teammate has pointed out on Twitter, no sacks. And so there is a little, uh, you know, hesitation to that. But what I think the, the, the non-signing, the Chiefs not signing him says is that they either are confident in their defensive end position or they don't think Melvin Ingram is worth the $4 million. And so I, I, I think we got we to gotta take it as, as confidence that they, they have guys there because I think Ingram's taking that deal in, in Kansas City if it's offered to him. I, I think you're, if you're Ingram, you're playing in a division that you already know. You know these offensive tackles. You're playing against your former team, which, you know, there may not be bad blood. But, hey, you know, some, te- some players are motivated by that. And you're also just playing on a better team. And so if it, it makes me think that the Chiefs didn't offer this if he, if he, didn't, if he signed elsewhere for this kind of money. Yeah, I would argue that they probably didn't offer him a contract at all, because if you're offering a veteran pass rusher, you're going to it's going to be competitive with that number or higher. I'm not even sure they that he would take a visit if the team wasn't going to offer, you know, something over veteran minimum. Right. I'm sure they have that conversation before he even came to town. I think that they just made a decision that they either weren't that interested in him. They were concerned about his medicals or or maybe there was something in in the workout that that was a red flag for them. Uh, I think this was one of those things where the Chiefs kicked the tires and decided that nah, this this is not uh, uh, not a big need for us. It certainly does point to their confidence in what's on the roster and probably their comfort level with the Frank Clark situation. Yeah, because I think that's another interesting point is that they brought him into a visit what like May or April maybe it was way back when. And we actually there was there's been no official reports that they've had any sort of talk since then. I think it's it's just been all Chiefs Twitter and us, you know, speculating, hey, Melvin Ingram's still out there. We visited him or we talked with him at one time. So there's still interest, you'd think. But we actually haven't heard anything since then. So it's it's likely that that visit happened. They said, you know, this isn't you know, this isn't really what we want right now or this isn't what we're looking for at this position or however. And they and they might have just moved on. And, and even the Frank Clark News didn't move their position on it. It could also be on Ingram's side as well when you look at the, the potential role that they, that they were offering. If the Chiefs are counting on Frank Clark and Chris Jones to be their starting defensive end, they've got other options in-house for rotational pass rushers. Maybe they weren't able to guarantee Ingram a starting role or they weren't able to guarantee him as big of a role as he was, uh, he was interested in at this point in his career. The Steelers lost uh, one of their best pass rushers in the offseason, and they had a big hole there. They can probably offer him a lot more snaps and a bigger uh, featured role. Yeah, exactly. I was going to mention Bud Dupree, so I'm glad you did because, yeah, he is not on the team anymore, and he was definitely a big part of their defense last year. They have T.J. Watt, obviously, is one of the best edge rushers in the league. But, yeah, there's definitely room for them to have a starting role. And the Chiefs, as long as Frank Clark is is on the field, they they have their two starting DNs, it sounds like, in Jones and Clark. and and, and they're willing to go with those guys. So, but I do, I do want to take this opportunity to, to hit on something that Chiefs Twitter just loves to keep talking about a possible acquisition of Justin Houston. And, and now with this Melvin Ingram off the board, more people are saying, Hey, Justin Houston needs to be a possibility. And I know, I know we've hit on this in earlier podcasts, but I just want to bring it back and just say, 
I just don't think it makes sense. And and I know from an on-field perspective, he's become a 4-3 DN now in, in Indianapolis. That's what he played. And, and so now he actually fits the current defense more than he fit the, the Sutton defense back in the day. But it's a locker room thing, guys. And, and, and we know they transitioned away from that leadership. And after 2018, they transitioned away every big player on the defense except for Hitchens just because he was already, you know, he just got signed that last year. But every other pretty much big name on the defense, whether it's Eric Berry or Justin Houston or whoever else, I mean, D Ford, obviously, but he's not much of a leader. But just to say all that, is, I just don't – it just wouldn't make sense to me. And, and this is, might be a bad example, but he's not going to come back as like a start, like a starting like uh, leader guy. Like he's going to be a role player type. That's be like bringing back like a like a a Mike Moustakis or I mean Alcides Escobar is probably the best example, but someone fr- from the Royals championships team to come back and just be like this role player guy that's not actually like a much of a starter right now. Like it just be it just wouldn't fit because they're used to being like the top dog in the locker room here, and now they're going to be like this role guy. I don't think Justin Houston wants to come back and just be like the the other guy. You know, he was he was a leader here. It'd just be too weird for him to take a back a back seat like that. So yeah, all I, that to say, I don't think it's possible. I think in some cases it's, it sounds poetic to have the the homegrown talent come back and you know join the championship team. I, I think they're like you said they made this decision for a reason, and it wasn't all on field reasons. It was a culture change. It was a locker room change. It was intentional. Uh, and specific, and he was part of that. And so I can't imagine them saying, well, all right, we changed our mind. Let's add you right back into the mix. And and you're right. When the Royals have tried to do something like that, they've done that with their pitching staff this year. You've got Holland. You've got Wade Davis. You've got uh, Santana, right? They're, they've had a bunch of uh, veteran pitchers try to come back and not really find a role or success uh, back in this team. And, and in some ways, it – do you think that tarnishes their legacy a little bit if if you if you're a star player on a team and then you come back years later if towards the end of your career and then your contribution is just not the same do you think that that sort of hurts your legacy yeah and i i'm glad you said wade davis i think that's actually a great point i think that's actually a better example than when i tried the the hypothetical one i tried to make up uh yeah cuz he's cuz you go from being the top dog the the you know wade davis was the best guy you know we had as a reliever i mean you could argue greg holland but wade davis was statistically the best one and now he's just you know he's just another bullpen guy and you know it it, it just kind of it's just different you know and 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 it hurts their confidence and their ability and their play not being the guy that they were used to being before in that same situation so yeah i i think that's a good example and it does tarnish your legacy a little bit i think i'm a justin guy i, I think he's one of the best pass rushers in chiefs history um, so I, I'd like to see it just kind of end like it was and, and not see him come back and, and uh, be 32 years old and not, you know, tarnish his legacy. Like you said, I, I would like to not see that. And all of that aside, we could talk about this all we want to, but I would bet substantial sums of money that this is not even in conversations in the, in the chief's uh, front office. This is not even a, he's not even on the list of, of somebody that they're considering from a veteran standpoint. Hey, it was still Brett Veach that made that call in 2018 to, you know, it's not like it was John Dorsey. Now it's Brett Veach. You know, it, it was Brett Veach that made the call to, to, you know, move on from Houston. So same front office, same different defensive coaching staff, but everywhere else is the same. They made that decision. It'd just be too weird to go back. But I do think this leads into another uh, point from Josh Webb on Twitter. 
which I, I, I think Josh is a good Chiefs follow. He has low expectations for Joshua Kando, and he was just asking if it was just because we've seen from K-Pass and Breland Speaks, you know, naturally you have low expectations after seeing them perform. But I think we need, we need to have low expectations for Joshua Kando. I don't think it's, it's an unfair thing. I, I think it's important that we have low expectations, actually, because he was a fourth-round pick. Just because he was a five-star recruit out of high school doesn't mean he's going to automatically be this this great NFL player. And and I've in the past blamed the Florida State coaching staff a little bit. They've not gotten as much production out of their players sometimes in years past. And then once they become in the NFL, they might get a little better. But I just I just think we need to have low expectations for Kando. Anything he does this year is gravy. But if he doesn't see the field at all this year, I don't think we should be disappointed or surprised or whatever. You know, it, it's just He's a fourth round pick. This team has some good edge players, uh, you know, that are young still, but have more experience than him and Tim Ward and Mike Dana. And obviously now Chris Jones playing edge. So what do you think about that? Uh, do you, do you agree that we need, we need to just have low expectations for him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you look at the theoretical rotation right now and you've got Clark and Jones on early downs, you've got two players that can stop the run and get after the passer you mostly from a power perspective uh, when it comes to Jones and then on obvious passing situations, then Jones is probably going to slide back inside and then you might slip in, you know, a situational pass rusher, but the first guy off the bench for situational pass rush should be Taco Charlton. And then, you know, after that, uh, maybe they find ways to, to put Kando in, in very obvious, you know, pin your ears back, straight for the quarterback, no other responsibility type type roles. But I'm not sure that that's a role that they've really employed that much in this defense. I think they expect a lot of their edge players. I think they have to be intelligent. They have to know the playbook. They've got a lot of decisions to make when they're on the field. And it's a lot to expect a rookie to come in and be able to make those types of decisions. So this really goes back to that Melvin Ingram conversation is, do you – bring in another veteran to fill out that depth chart? Uh, or do you bank on the development of some of these other guys or the, you know, really if Taco Charlton is healthy and he stays healthy, then you've got a decent rotation with Clark Jones, Taco, Mike Dana, on, especially on passing or on, excuse me, on running downs, then whatever you get from Kendo or Tim Ward or these other guys is, is gravy. Um, it's only if you lose one of those guys that you're really looking for for somebody to step up in a, in a big way or for their role to be expanded. So keep expectations low on Kendo and Tim Ward. You know, I think maybe we're ratcheting up expectations on Mike Dana because <clears throat> he had such a, a substantial rookie season. And he is – he looks like a veteran when it comes to especially playing the run. And he's got some hustle sacks in there. He's got some ability – you know, to, to make things happen on the field. So he might be a bigger part of the rotation than we think. And I, I would think he's certainly a bigger part of the rotation than Kendo is, at least for this year. Yeah, I think Dana, I know I've talked about it, how he's he's a, a rundowns guy, the guy that you, you want on early downs, maybe rather than later downs uh, for other guys. But at the same time, like you just mentioned, he is a hustle player. He's got a high motor. He's got some good hands, too. He's got good hand technique. So I do think he could just keep developing as a pass rusher and maybe become a, you know, more of a threat in that area than he was in his rookie year. Cause obviously he was a fifth round pick rookie only played at Michigan one year after playing at a lower level. So he, he is still getting used to kind of the, the upper level, but 
Uh, speaking of veterans, you, you kind of mentioned maybe bringing someone in. Uh, Chief Smash Forever, our guy, he actually shouted out uh, uh, Out of Structure as the best podcast on the AP Podcast Network when he asked this. So shout out Chief Smash Forever. We love our fans. <laughs> um, he asked, how many veterans do we bring in during camp? He put the over under at two. Now, the Chiefs have 90 players on the roster, so they're act- you can't bring anyone in without cutting someone else which is obviously they can do, you know, it's, it's not out of the question to do that, but we're about a week out of training camp now that hasn't happened. You'd think they'd maybe make a move before training camp to get them all, you know, to get a veteran, you know, in training camp the entire time, not midway through it. But do you see them bringing in any veterans? I truly don't, but especially now that Mel- Mel- Melvin Ingram's off the board, but um, do you see them having any need to bring in a veteran during camp? You know, I think they're always going to keep their eyes open. I think Brett Veach has made that pretty clear that there's lots of ways to acquire players and players become available that you didn't expect to become available. I know uh, Ron and BK talked about uh, Xavier Howard as a potential trade candidate. You know, there's a there's going to be names like that. They're going to pop up. I think I mentioned last week a rumor that Jerry Hughes, uh, the Buffalo pass rusher, was you know maybe on the the roster bubble there. There's going to be a lot of potential, you know, names that are available. I think that they're going to go into to camp with this roster, but when the opportunities come up, you know, they're not going to say, oh, we've already got 90, we're done. You know, I mean, they, if you look at the 90-man roster, there are plenty of, of you know, undrafted free agents and, and you know, young tryout players that, that are being given a chance to, to come to camp that are not necessarily guaranteed any sort of a roster spot or even a practice squad spot at this point and you know we've been talking about the roster bubble all season you know I think there's a uh, or all off season excuse me I think there's probably you know 15 20 guys that we could say are on that bubble that could go either way and so there's certainly going to be roster turnover I think there is every year they're going to be keeping their eyes open for available talent I don't know that they're desperate to add a veteran at this point I, I think they've made that pretty clear They've, they've got a roster that they're going to go into camp with a lot of young players to compete. Now, if the competition isn't, isn't going the way they want to or they have a couple injuries, then, yeah, they're, they're going to go out and add uh, to, to fill those roles. But I wouldn't hold my breath on any recognizable uh, veteran uh, you know, acquisitions in the near future. Yeah, so just to go off of a few guys that could be, you know, if there is a veteran that comes available in one of these positions, could be a, an easy cut, and we don't even think about it. You know, uh, there's there's an Austin Edwards and Tyler Clark on the defensive line. Have we ever heard of those players? Probably not. So it's, it's one of those, and like a Wyatt Miller on the offensive line. He was signed midway through the summer. I, You know, I think he's just a body, right? There's not, you know, they're not expecting anything from him. He's kind of a veteran, too. He's not a young guy, so... That's the thing. There are there are team, you know, and a receiver too. I will say, you know, there's a few guys where it's, you know, if if there's a guy that comes, just just a quick cut, and then you add them. So, I, I do think I do think there there is room to add another guy, like you said, if if someone comes available. Um, but I, Wait, are you telling me that Chris Finky and Dalton Schoen are not uh, guaranteed <laughs> uh, roster spots at this point? Hey, man, Dalton Schoen, pride of Blue Valley Northwest. I think that's. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I do think this is the 90 man they're going with. Um, we would have seen a transaction happen, I think, by now, if they didn't want this 90 man going into camp. Uh, but we still got a week, so we'll see. 
But moving on, I, I think uh, one thing I wanted to touch on a little bit, I wrote about it on Monday, was the possibility of three 1,000-yard receivers on this offense, if the Chiefs offense can support that. There's a 17th game this year. You know, the, the offense is, is explosive enough to, to maybe get close to that with one player. And I've laid out two guys that have the best chance, and I don't think either is very likely, but they do have the two best chances on the team. That's McCall Hardman and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Now, obviously, Hardman has the better chance, but I do think Edwards-Hilaire being more involved in the passing game, I do think there is some legitimacy to if he's just, you know, used a ton, you know, used like a Christian McCaffrey type who was the last running back to get over a thousand receiving yards. I don't know. That's asking a lot from one player. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think they're the 17th game and the offense just, I think being more, more uh, the offensive line being better and everything this year. I'd say there's a chance. What do you think? Is there any chance or am I just, am I just blowing smoke? Well, there's always a chance, but you know, I think of that list, you're right. Hardman is the next guy that that should should in this season approach a thousand yards, but it's asking an awful lot of this offense and and of those specific guys. You know, I think McCall Hardman's role has the opportunity to grow from where it was. There are some snaps, some targets available that he can eat up. Again, don't expect him to be an X receiver. He's not going to be winning a lot of contested catches, but they can open things up and find ways to get him the ball in space. You know, I saw some highlights from the, remember the Houston uh, Texans uh, comeback playoff win. I, I saw some highlights from that game. And one of the things that stood out, there was a, a specific route that they showed where Robinson and Tyreek were lined up side by side. And the way that they ran that route, the way they executed it, it they, they crossed right about 10 yards down the field and it led left Tyreek wide open. You know, I think you, you can do some creative things with the route combinations and Andy Reed is tremendous at that to get Hardman open in space to, you know, free him up. So he's not getting jammed at the line of scrimmage. I think there are some opportunities that they could scheme up for two speed receivers on the, on the field at the same time for Tyreek and McColl theoretically to both get a thousand yards you know, in the same year. I'm not banking on it. If I was betting on it, I think I'm still in the eight to 900 range for McColl, but that's still a, a marked improvement over where he was last year and factoring in that 17th game. So it's a lot to ask. I don't even really want to talk about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire getting a thousand yards receiving. You know, I, I think it's entirely possible, but I, I think, I think most likely Edwards-Hilaire is going to be shooting for and i'm hoping for 2000 combined yards so that's something like 1500 rushing 500 receiving something like that that is more realistic those sound like big numbers but if you look at what he did last year it's not that far off so let me bring some numbers into this to to kind of uh to to put some context to this so i like what you said about clyde getting to 2000 total so Westbrook, Brian Westbrook, back in the Andy Reid Eagles days, he had three separate occasions where he got to about 700 yards. Uh, he got to 699 one year, 703 one year, and he actually got to 771 one year. And I know it's a different offense, it's different times, obviously, but I do think that kind of tells you that there is a cap to how much the Chiefs are able to get the, to the ball to the running back in the pass game. The most he ever gotten with a Chiefs back was 693 with Jamal Charles in 2013. And so I think there is a cap to that, but it does kind of tell you that 
Clyde could get into that 700 range where he only needs 1,300 rushing yards, and all of a sudden he's at 2,000. Yeah, I could see that happening. The Another argument that people have made against it is that Patrick Mahomes is not a check-down thrower. He's not throwing the running backs in the same way you know, previous Chiefs quarterbacks have or pre- previous uh, other quarterbacks in the league might. But I also think that there's some story that Mahomes has learned from the way defenses have have been able to have some success against against the Chiefs team and taking more of what what the defense is giving you. And to me, that all points at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Again, I hate focusing too much on the Super Bowl, but I think Edwards-Hilaire had a lot of opportunities, a lot of yards left on the table in that game because the Chiefs were looking for um, receivers down the field and they just didn't have time to get it to them or they weren't open. Yeah, and and one more thing on this before we go to break. I, I will say... I'll make the case for Hardman to get there to 1,000 real quick. So 2019, he averaged 13.1 yards per target, right? In the average years that Mahomes, in the three years Mahomes has been the starter in the three seasons, the average third leading receiver on the team has averaged 69 targets per season. Increase to 17 games, that's 73 targets. You go 13.1 yards per target for 73 targets, you get to 956 receiving yards. If he's just a little more efficient with his targets in terms of like having better communication with Mahomes, not having as many targets fall incomplete, and he does happen to have a lot more, you know, big plays like he did in his rookie year, there is a path to where if he's that efficient over 73 targets or a little more, he could get to a thousand receiving yards. But it is going to be a, it'd be have to be a very, very big year for him. I have, I have high hopes for Hardman. Obviously, I'm really high on Clyde Edwards Lair this year. It's going to be interesting to watch. But tell you what, we've got uh, some differences that we're going to have to hash out here, Ron. We've talked a little bit about our rankings and where we see players where maybe I'm higher on some. Maybe McCole Hardman is on that list. But after the break, let's go through market movers and your top 30. and We'll see where we differ on where some of the Chiefs are ranked, and maybe we can change each other's minds on some of this and come to a consensus. But with that, let's go to break. We'll be right back on the Out of Structure podcast. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, we're back here at the Out of Structure podcast. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Please give a five-star review or rating wherever you can, wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you're following us on arrowheadpride.com. Great article out on arrowheadpride.com from actually last week, but we're going to bring it back because Stags posted it after our last week's podcast, Market Movers. It's a, it's a, it's a series that Stags does where he, he trends, he, he marks the trends of Chiefs players, 
how well they're doing, you know, ones that are rising, ones that are, you know, not rising, you know, falling a little bit uh, like the stock market. And so we've got a few we want to go over. Stags, I'll let you take it from here. What players we kind of want to highlight from your article? You got a few to choose from that have interesting, uh, you know, uh, details to them. But who do you want to start off with? Yeah, this is a fun exercise I've been doing for the last couple of years. And it's really tracking not only the rankings of the roster top to bottom, but really trying to be forward looking and seeing who's trending coming into the, the whatever's next. Right. So during the season, who's trending coming into the upcoming game, maybe who's got a good matchup or who has shown some progress and demanded a bigger role and, and who's going the other direction. And for the off season, it's a little bit more guesswork, right? But we're, these are maybe some of the players we're excited about for this season. We just talked about uh, one of them in Clyde Edwards Hilaire that I'm pretty bullish on, but let's talk a little bit about uh, Willie Gay Jr. You know, I, I said in the article, I think this is the, the year that it comes together for Willie Gay because he's got the talent. He's going to have the opportunity now with the uh, departure of Damien Wilson. So he's got the talent, he's got the opportunity, and it sure seems like he's preparing uh, to have a big year. When those three things come together, good things happen for players. So I'm really bullish on Willie Gay Jr. this year and excited to see him in camp. Yeah, and that's a guy that I know you said preseason is a lot of guesswork or offseason is a lot of guesswork. But the the guys that have been at practices this offseason are saying good things about him. And so that's all we can go off of. You know, someone like Nate Taylor really was really is saying Willie Gay has looked good. So if we can go off of that, then he's he's definitely a bull, right? I mean, and and he has that opportunity naturally as a second round pick from last year. He's got to step up. So I think I think that's a good one, and I sure hope he steps up. That, that's that's a guy that'll really change the defense if he's a good player this year. You know, somebody that I'm a little bit bearish on, and I talked a little bit about him this offseason, is Armani Watts. I think that's a crowded room at safety. They've got some pretty substantial players ahead of him with the healthy one, Thornhill, with Dan Sorensen and Tyron Matthew. That is a good room. It's pretty hard for him to see the field on defense. He's been a special teams player. But they added another player in Will Parks who can do basically what Watts can do, uh, and, and arguably he's had more success in the NFL on defense. So I, I'm bearish on Watts not only for his ability to see the field on defense, but maybe even his ability to make the roster. Yeah, Watts led the lead, or led the team, I should say, in special teams snaps last season. That's his calling card because he has not seen a lot of defense since his rookie year, it was kind of funny. His rookie year, he had a few defensive highlights where you're like, oh, do we have something here? And then he really hasn't seen the field since. And I do think it's also important to note that the Chiefs brought in Will Parks and Kamali Correa at the same time during the offseason. And we've seen him move on from one of those guys. Obviously, Correa is not on the team anymore. But Parks is still hung around and all the way till training camp. And I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Watts was actually not participating in practices in, in OTAs, if I remember correctly, at least for a certain amount of time. So I think all those signs point to Watts being a good candidate to, to maybe be a guy that doesn't make the 53. Yeah, there's some sleepers on this list as well. Um, but definitely, I think this exercise of ranking the Chiefs players top to bottom, if you have spare time, like uh, apparently we do, you might want to sit and, and see what you think and how you would rank the players top to bottom on this roster. And, and you can do it in a number of different ways. The way I was thinking about it was as contributions to the team and what their future contributions would be, not so much even the, the past contributions. 
Um, but as we compared notes, Ron did a good series on ranking his top 30 Chiefs and counting them down on the site. And we noticed some the same and some that were different. So out of the top 30, Ron and I ranked seven players exactly the same, which means there are 23 players we have differences. So let's go through some of those now uh, <laughs> real quick. We can start with the ones that we have the same that, that are pretty easy and pretty obvious. The list for everyone should start off with Patrick Mahomes. He's in his own category. He's the, he's obviously the, the best player on the team. We both went Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, but but Kelsey at number two and Hill, Hill at number three. I think some people might debate the order of those three, but it's pretty hard to argue with those are the guys that should lead off uh, anybody's rankings of this team, right? Yes. I need to make the argument for sure. Cause I, there were people that disputed, you know, maybe Tyron or Chris Jones need to sneak into that top three over a Tyreek. I think people kind of understand Travis is, is this team, you know, the second most important player on the team, although team is driven by offense. And I know the defense is solid now fans out there. I doubt any of you get that reference, but Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are how, are how this team goes. And so they are the three most important players. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a legitimate debate for any other guy being to penetrate those three, this team is going to succeed if those three guys are on the field. And if those, if one of those three guys are missing, it's a whole lot a heck of worse than if it was Tyron or Chris Jones missing, in my opinion. Yeah, you, those are definitely the top players on this team, arguably, not even arguably, I don't think, the best trio of offensive players in the league right now. And you can make a case for them being among the top trios of players historically I don't know that there's any three players that I would rather see um, on offense, maybe ever. I mean, Tony Gonzalez, maybe, I guess. But, I mean, I'd, have, I'd rather have Tyreek Hill. And, I know, and we all know – I mean, I think we've all accepted that Travis is a better – I mean, I don't know. I don't know if people have accepted that. I, I just have a little hate towards Tony because of his – he loves those Falcons. But uh, that's another subject for another day. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking Kelsey over over Gonzalez, and not because of that, but mostly because of his ability after the catch uh, and his route yeah. running. And and so I, I think he's a more dynamic player. I think Gonzalez was very consistent, um, but I think Kelsey's more dynamic. So with the dynamic trio at the top, uh, we've got Tyron Matthew and Chris Jones. We we have have them in different orders, but they're at four and five, and I think it's a it's a coin flip there. We both have Orlando Brown uh, sixth, so big acquisition from the offseason, both literally and in the rankings here. Orlando Brown jumps and debuts in the top six. Other players we had the same ranking on, we've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at number nine, uh, Jaron Reed debuting at number 11, and Taco Charlton down at 21. So with that said, uh, Ron, who's somebody that you've got ranked much higher than I have? And tell me why I'm wrong. So I think it is pretty egregious. I will say I'll use the word. I'll use that big word because you have Anthony Hitchens at 18 and he is below defensive players like Willie Gay, Derek Noddy, Tershawn Wharton. Man, I, I get that Hitchens hasn't been fantastic. He's not living up maybe to this big contract that they gave him in 2018. But he has definitely improved. In 2020, he was a he was an above-average starting linebacker, and he was a big reason why the defense was always in good positions. His pre-snap stuff is really important. I, I do think that's that's something that you know can go a little to the wayside a little bit when you're talking about Hitchens, because I know when you see him on the field, there's some tackling stuff that 
you know, I wish he would kind of maybe hit someone a little harder, you know, not get dragged back after he hits them sometimes. But the pre-snap stuff is super important. Spags has talked about how important Hitchens is to this defense, lining everyone up and just being a, 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 another coach on the field, being the green dot of the defense. I have him at number 10. You have him at number 18. Even if top 10 is a little high for him, because I do think I, I could see that argument. I just can't I can't see him being that low on the list. I think that's my my first big issue with your list. So I don't hate Anthony Hitchens. I think he did have a very good season last year. When I do the rankings again, my goal is to be a little forward looking. And so going into this season, going into this camp, I, I see Willie Gay Jr. again as a player on the rise. I see Turk Wharton as a player on the rise. I think Anthony Hitchens is somebody that they really just drafted his replacement. And Maybe it won't be for another year or two, but it's pretty hard to argue that he's his importance to the team is growing uh, over where it has been in the past. And so he's still in the top 20. He's still an important player. He's still a starter at this point, but I just see him trending downward where some of the younger players are trending upward. Yeah, I'll give you that. But I, I want you to go ahead and give me a dispute. Who who do you have on your list that is just a lot higher and you're a lot higher on than me? Well, sticking with the defense, uh, I've got Frank Clark at number eight. You have Clark at 13. I know he's a controversial figure with this team in the community right now. And there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding Clark. But this is part of why I think this is such a big story is because he's very important to this defense. And he's been a very underrated player in his Chiefs career. While so many fans are counting down to the point where the Chiefs could, could cut him or get out of the contract, we've had a ton of Twitter questions asking, can the Chiefs void his guarantees? Can they get out of this deal? Sure, they probably could. I'm not convinced that they would want to. I think this guy has been very important to the defense. He is very stout against the run. He, he's got a motor that doesn't stop. Yes, there are times where he disappears from a production standpoint. But we also don't know his assignments on some of those plays. There's a lot of containing that he does, things that maybe we go under the radar with Frank Clark. I think he's gotten to be very underrated at this point in his Chiefs career and underappreciated. He's fought through illness and injury and been a very clutch and very key performer for this team. And they need him this year. They need that production from him this year. They need his presence on the field. I think he's an extremely important player to this team and one that would be very difficult to replace if they lose him for any period of time, much less cut him. See, I would I would definitely say that I'm not the typical Chiefs fan, Frank Clark, because there are some guys up there, like you mentioned, that uh, do not want him on the team anymore. And, and I would definitely disagree with that. I think he's important to the team. But I do think his inconsistencies play a part in me ranking him lower than guys like Juan Thornhill, Jaron Reed, Anthony Hitchens. I just I just think those guys will make a more consistent impact on the defense from down to down every single play. I think Frank Clark is a good run defender on the edge. But I also think we got to uh, factor in Chris Jones playing on the edge more. I think that almost helps Clark have to not be as important, I guess, if that's a good way to put it. I think Chris Jones playing run defense on the edge uh, is, is a good thing and is, is something that Clark will not have to be relied upon as much because Clark is the best run defender out of the edge positions if you take Chris Jones out of it. I'm not saying Chris Jones is automatically going to be better at him or, or anything, but they now have two guys in, in base formations where, where they're good at run defense instead of, you know, you have to rely on Clark to be the good run defender and the other edge is Taco Charlton or a second-year Mike Dana, which I think is good at run defense, but – 
anyway, I think it's the inconsistencies that play a part in me not not or having him pretty low, and just you know the 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 like you said, he kind of you know he kind of goes away sometimes. The 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 injuries or not the injury stuff, the illness stuff is a little weird. I don't want to factor that in too much, but it does just all kind of come into this inconsistency part of him. But it's 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 the, that's the thing though. In the playoffs, he's he's been great. He's gotten sacks when it matters the most. So. It, he when he is playing well and when he is playing to a, to at a good level, it's really good and it's really impactful. It's just is he going to give me that all 16, 17 games throughout the Super Bowl run like Thornhill, Reed, and Hitchens will? I think that's why I have Clark a little lower. Um, but I don't want to be the guy that 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 uh, hates on Clark either because I I do I do recognize how important he is, but I guess yeah. just not as much as you do. If you want to see Clark gone. Be careful what you wish for, because right. the grass may not be greener uh, with whoever comes in to replace him or whatever they have behind Frank Clark. Another player that you appear to be way lower on than I am, you know, sort of in the same conversation, I think is uh, Tershawn or Turk Wharton. I've got him at 14. You've got Turk at 22. Again, I think this is an ascending player that showed some incredible play for especially given his you know pedigree, if you will, last year. I think he's going to have a role this year. And I think with Jones going outside, they're going to have more opportunities to rotate him in in situations where he can win uh, and just be a disruptive, dangerous player. So maybe I'm a little too high on Warden, but again, I'm projecting forward a player that should be continuing to get better after just a remarkable rookie season. So my thing with Wharton, I think you 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 almost touched on the opposite point that I'm about to make, and the fact that now that Jones is on the outside more, he'll have more opportunity. But if 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 what happens, what we've kind of talked about with Jones moving back to the interior on pass rushing downs, I would actually argue that that hurts his chances at getting on the field because now that Jaron Reed's in the picture, a guy that can play all three downs, I think their ideal interior pass rush on third downs is Reed and Jones next to each other. Last year, it was Wharton and Jones next to each other. So last year, we saw Wharton actually become a guy that is, if you're talking like, I know not a starter, but a third down, he is the top interior guy besides Jones on third downs. Now he's not. Now he's actually the third guy in that situation, which, hey, if he's a rotational guy, that's awesome for the defense. That helps the defense because Wharton is a very talented dude. And, and him being your third interior pass rusher is, is going to cause some troubles for the, for the offense because he's going to have fresh legs and the offensive linemen are going to already be dealing with Reed and Jones. And all of a sudden they get a Wharton guy that comes in, you know, that's fresh and has high energy, but it's just one of those things where he's, he's not going to be one of the top 11 on the defense and he's not going to have starter snaps. And so that's why I, I just naturally have to push him down because the guys ahead of him are technically all starters and he's just not. So that's my main thing. It's nothing against Wharton. It's just mo- ma- mainly about his playing time, how much he's going to play this year. He just can't have that big of an impact, in my opinion, uh, as as someone that can rank as high as you had him. I'll give you that one. Who else are you higher on than I am? Daniel Sorensen, my guy. I've been trying to cut him every training camp for the last three years for some reason, yet here I am having him as a top 15 player on the team going into training camp. I have at number 15 above guys like even like Traverius Ward, Derek Nottie, Willie Gay, Creed Humphrey, Taco Charlton. You have him at 29, all the way down uh, close to the end, actually just behind Lucas Niang, Rashad Fenton, Byron Pringle. 
I man, I, I just Sorensen has a bigger impact on this team than that, in my opinion. He's the social the the special teams that impact is one thing, but he played the second most snaps on the defense last year, even as that third safety. I know Thornhill was kind of coming back. So actually Thornhill was kind of the third safety last year. But man, he he's he was one of the most consistent defenders on the team last year. His ability as a as a linebacker in the dime defense is is really helpful for the team because he can even though he has some limitations him being able to play box safety and deep safety you know both at the same time is, is valuable for sure i i just I, I can't see him being that low i i understand maybe being a little too high on Sorensen myself but 29 man i i he's a lot more important to the defense than that yeah i, I could see that maybe i am a little bit lower uh, on Sorensen. again i go back to being more forward-looking I think Sorensen's towards the twilight of his uh, Chiefs career. I'm not saying he's done by any means, but he's an older player and one that um, you know probably isn't ascending at this point in his career. And I, some of the guys I've got ahead of him, maybe aspirational in nature. Maybe you know I'm I'm hopeful uh, that they'll see some improvement and some bigger roles on the team as opposed to what they have contributed. But there's no denying what Sorensen has brought to this team, especially in some really, really key moments over the last couple of years. Again, I, I was watching those highlights of that Houston game when he had the, the tackle on the, the fake punt that just, that just absolutely turned the tide in that game and then turned around and was part of a, a fumble, a forced fumble on the, on the ensuing kickoff, I think not, not too long after that. So uh, Sorensen has been a huge part of this championship run. I'm just not sure how big of a role or how big of an impact he's going to have in the future. Uh, I guess some of that is to be determined in camp. Yeah. I think your list, I think you've done a good job with your list. Like you're saying the future looking thing, you know, it, it is like a stock market, you know, these players are stocks and, and you're looking at them like that. And I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, I, I think mine was more individualized this season. So maybe that's where we have a little, you know, some of our differences, but, I'll go with my last one, and then if you have another one, you can hit me with it. But I think Joe Tooney, you have him at 12 here. I have him at seven, actually. I think that gives him more value. I think that makes him a more valuable player. Just that that reliance, that that consistency of having he, – he's, he's never missed a game. He's played all 16 every season. That Having that kind of guy on the left alongside Brown kind of – and I know that's combining another player's value with Tooney's. I just think that that is such an important part of the offense this year. We saw it last year. A lot of times the homes just did not want to step up into that pocket. He wanted to scramble out or back up. I think having Tooney in there, especially with Brown next to him, it'll give him confidence to step up, especially to the left. And I think that'll help the offense a lot. Yeah, I'm definitely high on Tooney. I think you're right. The consistency, the veteran presence, the invisibility of Joe Tooney is probably one of the reasons that many of us might rank him low but he might be actually more valuable because going forward this season, you're not going to have to worry about left guard. You're not going to notice left guard. Um, you might notice other positions on the offensive line for, for better or for worse. But, you know, the idea of Joe Tooney is that anchor, that guy that you can depend on. Uh, I'll buy that. If you look at my list, the players that I've got ranked in between uh, Joe Tooney from, from where you are. So I've got Juan Thornhill up there. Uh, I've got Jaron Reed above him, Frank Clark. You know, these, these are players that are going to be impact players, uh, if all goes well, um, that are going to be making the, the plays that are, that are game changers, right? So for that reason alone, I've got them ranked a little bit higher. 
but again, I can see the argument for consistency and, and invisibility being a, a pro for tuning. Just because I, I did want to, I don't want to just give Snead, you know, I, I do think Snead needs to prove it a little more. And I think Tooney has proven it. And so that's the only thing I, I would, or I would definitely agree that the positional value is more important. I think having a good cornerback like Snead is way more important than having a good guard. But I, I did want to give Tooney that little bit of the, the, you know, uh, edge just because he is a veteran, a guy that's proven that he's the best in the league. If we're looking at this list, at the end of this season, Snead is one of those guys that could crack the top five. Like he, he is a player that is absolutely on the rise and critically important to this team. And he can do a number of things that can really impact a game. So I'm pretty high on Snead. And I think, I think maybe by the end of the season, he's going to move up the charts even more from where he is. I'm the same way with Juan Thornhill again, as he gets back to form and plays up to his ability. Those guys are really the future of this secondary um, uh, along with Tyron Matthew, who sh- should be signing his deal. I think we jinxed it last time by saying he could, he could be signing any minute. Um, I, I think that's coming real soon. And so, you know, I, I think there's some of those players, the young players that maybe get a little bit more weight on my rankings as, as, a, as a forward-looking deal. I also noticed there's a few players on my list that aren't even on your list, and, and which means that there's probably some on yours that are not on mine as far as the top 30. So I had fullback Michael Burton in at 23, plugging in the Anthony Sherman role, what he meant to this team. Uh, and as a starter, you know, he's just outside the top 22 uh, when, you, when you consider a starter position. I've got Tim Ward uh, up there at, at number 24. Uh, again, maybe this is a projection and maybe this is too optimistic, but I think he's somebody that could surprise people this year in his role, at least being the Tano Passanio role this season, assuming he makes the roster and gets that, uh, you know, gets some snaps. I think he might, he might surprise some folks. So those are a couple of players that are on my list that, not, that aren't even on yours. Yeah. I, I think one guy that, and I get why he's not on your list. If you're thinking for future looking uh, Ben Neiman cracked my top 30 at number 29, just does have a role on this team to an extent. Um, you know, I, Michael Burton might be a little more important, I guess, than Ben Neiman, uh, you know, when you consider special teams too. But I, it was just hard for me to put a new fullback on the team, even though I, I think it is important to note that if it was Anthony Sherman, he probably would be in my list, probably, you know, pr- probably close to where you have Michael Burton. But I think just the disconnect, like not have not seeing Sherman's name there anymore, it's just like, oh, he's just a throwaway player, which yeah, is not true. So, you know, I've got him sort of in tears on this spreadsheet. And for those of you who are, you know, readers of airheadpride.com, you can go to the Market Movers article at the bottom. There's a link to my spreadsheet so you can uh, you can see my work. But I've got him sort of in tears, right? So I've got Patrick Mahomes is in his own tier, his own category at the top of this list. Then I've got those players that could be considered amongst the NFL elite or some of the best at their position in the league, uh, which are the next five on our list uh, from Orlando Brown on up. Then you've got the starters that would be starters on any NFL team. And then you get into the role players and the depth uh, positions. And that's where it sort of gets jumbled, right? So you could rank the role players and the depth players on this team a number of different ways. And yeah, Ben Neiman has been one of those key role players in the past. I guess maybe I'm hoping he's not a key role player in the future. Maybe that's why I ranked him uh, outside of the top 30. Uh, But I also have sort of a special teams category. So Obviously, we none of us have the kicker or, or punter on this list, which are both 
very valuable, important starting players on this team. So I, I have special teams sort of down in, in their own category below the, the key role players on offense and defense. Uh, but otherwise, you might see a kicker and a punter higher up on this list. So, so yeah, when you get into those 15 to 30 range, it's a lot of depth. It's a lot of projection. Uh, and you can rank them a number of different ways. And I'm sure everybody out there might have a slightly different list if they did the whole exercise themselves as well. Yeah, I will say, I, I think it might have been a mistake to not have Butker in the top 30. I, I know he kind of struggled last year, but kick and he has been very reliable on the long kicks. And that's super, I mean, that is super valuable to be able to kick 50-yard field goals, um, you know, not being in a good field position as an offense and still being able to get three points. And so Butker probably should have made the top 30. Yeah, we did have a question recently on this podcast about who would you rather see have a bad season, Harrison Butker or Trevor's Ward, for example. Uh, and if you think about it in those terms of the that sort of as a proxy for the value to this team, right? So you could cover up a Traverius Ward having a bad season, but you couldn't cover up Harrison Butker. So maybe if you rank these uh, again and you included special teams, maybe they'd be in those those early 20s uh, range uh, on this list to say that they're not as impactful as an every down linebacker, for example, but you can't uh, overcome a bad kicker as easy as you could uh, a bad uh, a cornerback. I'm surprised uh, we don't have Nick Bolton on the list, you know, especially he was a four, you know, future looking. I'm sure he's right on the edge, you know, top 30. I'm sure he's right there for you. But, um, you know, I, I guess I guess you didn't have him over Neiman because I did or I had Neiman over Bolton, which I'm kind of regretting already. Now that I think about it more and more because I do think Bolton can come in and, and play that situational role. Not exactly what Neiman did, but play enough snaps to have a, a similar value to Neiman for the team. And so maybe he should have cracked the top 30 because I, I do think Bolton might play a little more than, than we think right now. I've got Bolton at 31, uh, so just outside <laughs> the top 30. Um, and so go. that's a good point. And Trey Smith as well. You know, those are potentially fast risers if and when they get the opportunity to play. So I've got them as, you know, as newcomers that to keep an eye on. Uh, Noah Gray, Cornell Powell, Jarek McKinnon, Trey Smith, Nick Bolton, and Blake Bell. I've got all of those guys as the first five uh, or first six players right outside of the top 30, all ones to watch because I think there's a real good chance that, they, um, uh, that they're ascending uh, depending on the opportunity that they're given. I think another guy we got to think about, and I'm surprised he's not on your list, although I can't be too surprised because you probably think Niang's going to take right tackle. Mike Remmers, he, he's, I'm going to predict that he's the right tackle week one. And if you're a starter, I, I feel like you got to be in the top 30 somewhere. And I do think he gave the Chiefs good snaps at right tackle last season. But, I, you know, if, if Yang does get right tackle, then there's not a real reason for him to be in the top 30 as a depth offensive lineman. Yeah, I've got Mike Remmers at 37 currently on my list. And you're right. I do think that by the end of the season – probably not to start the season, but potentially that Lucas Yang is uh, going to be the starter at right tackle, or at least that should be the hope of all of us. And so I've got Yang up in the, at 28 with Remmers down at 37. But again, these rankings change not only uh, weekly, but sometimes within a week, depending on the trends, the, the, the competition in camp, the progress that they're making, 
you know, rumors that we hear, new signings. I mean, there's a lot of things that can affect where a player ranks on this team. So if you have a chance, check out Ron's articles on OurHeadPride.com, ranking the top uh, 20, 30 players and by tier. Uh, check out Market Movers as well if you're so inclined. And give some thoughts to how you might rank some of these Chiefs players going into this season and, and where you tell us where, we're, where we are wrong. We have a few Twitter things that we'll hit on next time. But, hey, by the next time you hear from us, it'll officially be training camp week. We'll be excited to, to, to preview training camp, hopefully get some, get some fun training camp preview kind of stuff. Thanks for listening. Rate and review where you can. I'm Ron Cobb. That was Matt Stagner. We're the Out of Structure Podcast, and we'll see you next time. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.